This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got a few tech nerds with me today, and we've got an awesome show. Tech nerds, including John Beeler, Graham Williams, thanks for coming on. Always glad to be here. So today's show, we are going to be talking about summer backyard tech, how to tech out your backyard to have it even more relaxing, make tech work for you, and, keep, and keep you calm. Speaking of the opposite of calm, we're going to have AJ in to talk about his uh, car computer story. As you know, all cars are controlled by computer boards now. Uh, they control everything from you know, your, uh, your gas intake, the windows, the air conditioning, everything. Well, his died. Uh-oh. So we'll tell you, or he's going to tell us what he had to go through for that. It's, it's actually quite, quite hilarious. Uh, and uh, we will also be finding out how trains have an influenced two major technologies that we use every day john rides the rails a lot apparently it's like a hobo and uh <laughs> saw some interesting stuff one day on his uh, commute in of course uh googled it as john does and it is fascinating like you have to stay tuned for this i, I never knew this uh let's talk about some of the news though uh, guys uh, this week uh nasa is uh looking to 3d print spacecraft parts in orbit and john you're a big 3d printer guy like probably one of the the best in canada is this feasible yes this is really cool okay because i've seen your 3d printed stuff and if spacecraft parts were made out of that i would be concerned (laughs) it's not made out of plastic okay what is it made out of it's uh it's a composite they haven't actually said what they're going to be making it okay. out of yet but it'll definitely be something that will be able to withstand space um so nasa just basically gave a contract to made in space it's a company that was one of the first to actually put a 3d printer in space on the iss a couple of years ago i actually got to meet the whole team and i have actually have the t-shirt for made in space and it's a really cool technology where the astronauts were able to sort of test the validity of printing spare parts in space the idea being it's much cheaper for them to ship up the raw material than a bunch of random finished parts so now they're actually experimenting on printing the outside parts of the spaceship not just internal like nuts and bolts and that type of thing Tom Hanks would have loved this in Apollo 13. Yes. 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 So the first thing that they're going to do is actually they're going to print the booms, 36 feet long booms, two of them on each side. 36 feet long. Yes. On this 3D printer. How big is this printer? Well, the the printer itself can be very small and it just keeps outputting out one direction. <laughs> extrudes it in one direction. Correct. Yeah. That's yes. a lot of printing. Yes. And you also have the benefit of gravity or anti-gravity or zero gravity to support that. But they're actually going to be printing the booms that a solar sail will go on to to actually catch the sun's rays to power the outside of the spaceship. Carl Sagan would be so happy right now. Yes. See, the interesting thing about this, I think, is that this is proof of concept for the next generation of space exploration, right? The big deal here is not only being able to print parts, but having self-replicating machines, Yes. right? You're able to print a printer that could then print another printer. And these things, if we were able to send them out to the asteroid belt, at that point, they could start gathering those resources that they need to make themselves. Yeah. And we've got a small army of robots out th- that's out there gathering the resources that we don't have here on planet Earth. You think that most major conflicts in the world are around resources. If we could get out to that place in space and find all of these things, what, what a utopian existence we could have. This is incredibly exciting stuff. It's very exciting. Still seems very sketchy to me <laughs> you gotta, you, can, you gotta, just, okay john do you want to be up in a space station where you've 
three D printed a part for the outside. Yes, of the space yes, station. Yes, absolutely. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you have any idea how rigorous NASA is about this stuff? Uh, this is. I mean, this. They're not going to gonna be... do it if it's not going to work. I believe. <laughs> I'm, ske- I'm skeptical. And this is how Star Trek's big. You know, these big uh, factories in space, floating construction. Utopia Planitia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the space station where the Enterprise was built. Yes. <laughs> you guys are so nerdy. Uh, let's talk about Apple now. So Apple is probably one of the more secretive companies in the world when it comes to developing products and launching new products. Uh, and that's kind of been the magic. Like people, millions of people tune in for their product launches. You just don't see that with other companies or manufacturers. Uh, but there's been a lot of leaks over the years, right? Like we see a lot of the prototypes or uh, you know, get kind of news bits on what the phone or the tablet's going to look like. Uh, so after uh, the iPhone 5C, where there were a bunch of leaks, they actually created uh, their own manufacturing security division, dubbed the New Product Security Team, to closely monitor their suppliers and assembly partners in China. But still, people are trying to sneak parts out of the factories. Yeah. How do you think they did that? They dug a tunnel. Sorry, what? They dug a tunnel to hide the parts. The Steve McQueen tunnel, as well as <laughs> start to call How's it. How's that going to work? Where are, you di- where are you digging a tunnel well, in a factory? No, the, the, just a place to secret the parts away. Okay. So not a, a tunnel to escape from, but basically a, a place to hide this stuff, pull it off the line or wherever they're doing it, and basically pull it out when it's convenient for them to do that when they're not being watched by this security team. So uh, back when the iPhone 5C was being uh, made, two workers at one of their factories, uh, Jabil, um, they actually stole 180 iPhone 6 enclosures by adjusting inventory tracking system. Yeah. So this is one of those things where, again, you're, you're looking at your employees and hoping that they have the best of intent when they are working for you. But in a lot of cases, there is money involved. Big money. When we're looking at... because. There's a term for this, and it's called industrial espionage. And it's a, it's, I mean, it's a very serious thing. We saw Samsung, when they were looking at the iPhone, they had a 110-page PowerPoint presentation on how best to copy this thing. People are looking at Apple and saying, how do we get what they do? How do we capture that lightning in a bottle for ourselves? So it's no surprise that people are going to extreme lengths to try to steal this stuff before it becomes uh, public. It's interesting too, even the case manufacturers are trying to figure out what the dimensions will be so they can be the first to market with a new case for that new device. Yeah, I, the iPhone you know, 10s 2 is unveiled and we've got the new case here available today so that it can be delivered before your phone's even there. Also in the news, uh, we're talking tech news here on Get Connected. Huawei registers Harmony for its mobile operating system. So we've talked about this uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, Obviously, Huawei having trouble with the U.S. uh, They're on the blacklist. They're kind of off the blacklist. Who knows? Um, But they've been working on this for years, a contingency plan in case the U.S. ever decides to stop letting them use certain American companies' technologies, including Google, the Android operating system that most of the world's phones work on, including Huawei phones. Well, they've been developing their own version of that in the background, and now it looks like it has a name, Harmony. Yes. Uh, The thing that I find interesting is that Samsung's been down this road as well, right? I mean, Samsung was looking at Google, and Google releasing their Pixel phones was probably the main competitor to the Samsung S series uh, at one point. And so Samsung was looking at it going, well, are we ever going to be in a place where we're compromised by using another company's operating system when they're our main competitor? So they developed 
Tizen, yes. right? Which was a bit of a... They still use it. They still use Tizen. And yeah. it's a not bad operating system, but it obviously hasn't found the type of traction that Android has. It's no surprise that Huawei would do this. And I think the one thing here, by not allowing them to use Android, they could be, the U.S. government could be waking a bit of a sleeping giant in Huawei. Because they're going to make their own version of Android. And they're going to cut you out of the, out of the equation. You yeah. no longer and have they, the And control. they're going to probably dominate too. Because everybody else will migrate to that because it's not Google or it's not America. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can tell you hands down, I'm probably not going to use it, but there are going to be a lot of people who will. Yeah, I've seen your Facebook posts. <laughs> when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about summer backyard tech to make your your summer a little more relaxing and fun. We're going to be talking with Erin Lawrence uh, out of uh, Calgary. She's got some cool uh, products and, and tech to talk about. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got John Beeler with me here uh, as well. Still lots to talk about on the program today. We're going to talk about trains. I know that doesn't sound exciting, but they've spawned two technologies that we all use every single day that have nothing to do with trains. So we'll, uh, we'll give you the lowdown on that. And AJ's going to be talking about his car computer and how it has failed him and what he's learned along the way. And this is actually an important segment to listen to because all of our cars are controlled by computers they go down it can cost you thousands of dollars well let's talk about something a little more relaxing your backyard summertime we're all out there on a nice sunny day drinking our beer or our iced teas well on the line right now we've got aaron lawrence uh, out of calgary to i guess go through some of the the cool gadgets and tech that we can use to to make our summer just a little bit better thanks for joining us aaron hi mike hi john thanks for having me uh, let's uh, start going through your uh, your list of summer tech. And these are some things uh, that you have uh, got going in your backyard. I've actually tried out some of these uh, as well. Me too. Uh, let's start with the Philips Hue Outdoor Spotlights. And Philips Hue, they've had a number of smart connected lights uh, for a number of years now that you can control, not only with your smartphone, uh, but also your voice. And now they've got outdoor versions of this as well, Aaron. Absolutely. This was one of the things that I was most excited about this summer. I've been a user of Philips Hue Lighting for a long time, and it's one of the lighting platforms that I really like to recommend, primarily because it's really easy to use. It's really easy to set up. Even people with no tech savvy whatsoever can get up, get set up and get connected with Philips Hue Lighting, and it works really well. So when they came out within the last year or so, with some outdoor lighting. I thought this is absolutely perfect. So what they've got, there's a bunch of different lights now in the line. So there are things like a, an LED light strip, which is really cool. It sort of lets you um, be really flexible with the lighting. So you can run it along the top of a railing or along the edge of a deck. You can coil it around the edges of your garden. Whatever you want to do to shape that light, you can use it for that. They've also got um, spotlights and light fixtures now. And all of this, of course, is controlled with your smartphone. So you can change the color. You can change the brightness. You can give a whole colorful look to your entire backyard if you want. Some of the other lighting in their line, um, they've got spotlights and bollards if you want to get sort of uh, the, you know, the underside of your trees lit up, however you want your backyard to look. There's definitely a ton of options now. It's, it's funny, uh, Aaron. I actually set up my uh, my Philips Hue spotlights again. I'd set them up uh, just before winter, and they were fantastic. I had them shining against uh, my hedges in my backyard, and it, at nighttime it was fantastic because it just brought some color and life uh, back to a dreary 
<laughs> scene <laughs> essentially. Uh, then, unfortunately, during uh, the beginning of spring, there, my son, uh, who I um, he, he would say I force him to mow the lawn uh, every week. He basically uprooted all of them. Oh no! Because I had them kind of near my deck. <laughs> Uh, and he just thought these are in my way, and he, he basically pulled them all out and just left them in a, uh, a little pile on my deck, uh, which I wasn't happy about. So this weekend, I actually spent time uh, on my deck. I've got like a wooden deck, and I actually pulled up some of the uh, the deck boards and hid all the wiring in, and uh, then screwed the little stands uh, onto certain parts. Mm-hmm. So there's no way he's gonna well get done. he's not gonna get those <laughs> off. But it is beautiful because you can aim those spotlights anywhere. In your yard, I've got uh, you know one uh, aimed at my hedges in the back, another on one of the big pine trees, and another one towards uh, a little garden I have, and it just it just makes it look beautiful. It really does, and and you mentioned the winter. I think, especially here in Calgary, I mean, gosh, in most of Canada, in the winter, it's cold, it's desolate, and there's not a lot to look at. So I too had these installed over the winter. And one of the things I really liked was that I could, you know, on a really snowy day, I could turn the lights sort of blue to give you sort of this even icier winter wonderland look. And when I got tired of that, I did sort of a pink and purple look just to get some color in the yard after a few months of, you know, cold and gray. So they're actually really versatile and they really do a lot to improve the look of your backyard. Let's uh, talk about something that my son would, would be really happy about, uh, <laughs> the robot vacu- or robot lawnmower. Yes, and you're right. It is very close to a robot vacuum. So, so this is Husk- the, Husqvarna, right? Yes, Husqvarna auto mower. And it is essentially a robot that will cut your lawn for you. So this gadget, I would say... It's maybe a little smaller than a traditional push mower, and by that I mean like an electric or a gas mower. But this thing is fully automated. It's got a dock that you install somewhere in your yard, and you can make a little garage for it. You can put it under the deck, wherever you want to have it. Little doghouse for you it? Have some, absolutely. You can go under the doghouse and have the dog sit on top. That would be really cool. <laughs> so once you get the installers to come in, they'll basically put a guide wire around the edges of your yard where you want this thing to do the mowing and this is sort of how you keep it reined in so it's not mowing you know all the way down the street or you know running over your sidewalk consistently so you basically create this area and then the mower does the rest once it's set up and connected it will just go out and cut your lawn pretty much every night or every morning you can set it to a schedule and it mulches down kind of fractions of an inch of the grass So when we had ours installed for a few months last summer, it basically would go out overnight and spend a couple of hours just cutting the lawn. It runs absolutely silently, so no neighbors were upset when we had this thing going. And then there's no grass to have to rake up or pick up. It doesn't make the lawn look messy. We really enjoyed it because you get back so many hours of yard maintenance using a device like this. What about my little dogs? Should they fear for their lives? (laughs) No, there's safety features built in, as you would expect with a device like this. So if it gets close to your dog, to your foot, to something it shouldn't, it's got sensors that will, you know, basically make it back away again. And if something ever did happen, you know, it'll shut the blades right down. So it's, it's quite safe. 
It's got anti-theft built into it as well. I know uh, actually some, uh, I, I believe some uh, cities have tried these out. I, I believe Edmonton was one. They used them on some of their fields and people stole them, uh, but they've got GPS tracking built in. They've got GPS. They've actually got a ton of features. Um, one of them is that you can only use the mower with the dedicated base that comes with it. So if you see the mower going and you were to you know, come by and snag the mower, it's not going to work without that base. The two of them don't work in conjunction with each other without a pin code. In order to get things going, you have to enable them with a pin code. If you need to change the pin code for some reason, let's say somebody moved off with the base station and the mower, the only person that can update or change the pin code is an authorized Husqvarna dealer, and they're going to start asking you some questions. So these are actually pretty, uh, pretty safe from theft. We're talking with Erin Lawrence. Uh, she's got a great uh, website and blog called TechGadgetsCanada.com. And uh, we've got a few more summer tech products, uh, but you can read about them on our GetConnectedMedia.com website uh, and uh, get all the details there. Erin, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. When we come back from the break, Trains and Technology with John Beeler. <laughs> Together at last. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got John Beeler with me and uh, one of our team members, AJ Vickery. Thanks for uh, popping in, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in a minute, we'll talk about uh, how AJ loves computers and cars. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, first, uh, I just want to get unconnected. I had a chance to go down and see uh, Bart on the Beach uh, last weekend. And what a great way to get completely unplugged. It was, like, amazing. I saw the uh, Shakespeare in Love uh, play, which was just fantastic. Have you been down to that yet? I have not yet. No? No. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said that there was a bunch of cool things happening at the same time while you were down there. Yeah, they had uh, beer tasting going on. Yeah. It was amazing. It sounds like a great time. Yeah, and beer, if you want to buy beer and wine, it's like six bucks. It's not like $20. So, cheap. (laughs) It's cheap. But uh, fantastic night out. Okay, let's get back to tech. AJ, uh, (laughs) I wanted to talk about this because... You are going insane right now. You're up uh, Christina Lake yes, for vacation. Yeah, which is in British Columbia. It's, uh, it's up in the interior. The closest uh, city would be Grand Forks, B.C., uh, not a not a huge city, but definitely one people might uh, recognize. Uh, about two hundred kilometers away from Kelowna, or you know, around a hundred a hundred and some odd kilometers away from uh, Osoyos. So you uh, drove your trusty Audi SUV up there. Yep, Audi Q7 SUV. Yeah, it was driving up there, and um, I started to notice uh, a little bit of power failure in the vehicle. And uh, I was a little bit concerned about it. Um, and so, uh, but when you're up in, um, especially Christina Lake, which is outside of Grand Forks, there's not a whole lot of, you know, garages and things. <laughs> Certainly no Audi dealerships that you can pull into and get any support and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, um, the vehicle absolutely died. And when I say died, I was actually driving the vehicle. Uh, oh, it died while you're driving? While I was driving. And here's the funny thing. If anyone, you know, uh, well, we're old enough, we remember. You ever turn off the car when you were driving it because you used to be able to do that yeah um you lose all your power right yeah yeah power brakes power steering everything gone yes well when the new when the vehicle turns off <laughs> while you're driving yeah in the new vehicles which is like i think impossible to do for safety reasons yes you have no power steering or power brakes anymore yeah so moving a big heavy suv with no power steering 
kind of difficult. <laughs> like I was like, were you on the highway? No, I was. Uh, I was on a smaller road, and I was oh, uh, luckily there was a, a store, uh, and I sort of like rolled into the store uh, with I would say probably about fifteen to twenty k an hour, and there was like cars coming out of it, and it was hard for me to sort of navigate my way around them. But <laughs> yeah, I because you can't because I'm reefing on the yep. steering wheel. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I ended up pulling into a spot and parking the vehicle. Dead, wouldn't start. Done. This yeah. sounds like the start of a horror movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Cue music. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so sure enough, um, I got the vehicle towed into Grand Forks, BC, where there was a, a great little shop that um, was known to work on um, uh, Volkswagens and Audis. And oh, so perfect. they, yeah, so I thought, okay, good, we'll be able to figure this out. They, they, they tried to connect to the um, car's computer and absolutely had no way to interface with it. Whatever reader that they were using um, to talk to the vehicle, they were unable to, to diagnose any, anything whatsoever and certainly just told me that your only option is to tow it to a dealer. <laughs> From Grand Forks? Yeah, Grand Forks, BC, yeah. 200 kilometers away. To uh, Kelowna. To Kelowna, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, which is what I did. Um, Sounds like a fun vacation. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I had lots of friends around, so we were able to sort of shuffle things around and get people in there. But, uh, yeah, the vehicle uh, was at the auto dealership in Kelowna, and um, they took a look at it, and they said, yes, your computer is gone. So all cars now have computers that basically control every aspect of... Every aspect. How um, much gas is going into the engine, like... Everything. Yeah. And it's dead. Not just the music. No, no. Just the, no. I'm like, computer's dead. Music, no problem. You know, <laughs> guidance system, no problem. Yeah. No, no. Dead. Dead. And they're not cheap. That's the, that's the worst part is that, uh, is that um, they're not cheap. So, so a replacement computer for this vehicle is about $5,000. $5,000. Yep. $5,000. You know how yep. many laptops I can get for that? Right? Yeah. And so, you know, Mike, I've watched you over the years bring things to China and fix them for dollars instead of hundreds of dollars and find things on eBay, eBay and Amazon and yeah. putting part numbers in and, and, and John, I mean, you're like printing things on 3d printers to replacement parts for things. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pull one of these guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fix this thing for less than $5,000. But what I learned was unfortunately no. these cars coded dealer has to program them. You can get the replacement part. Yeah. I found them. They're available online. Yeah. You can get re- remanufactured ones for five, six hundred bucks. Yeah, but but, th- but that's the trick is that they're they're specially coded for your yeah your to your, your VIN number right to yeah. the vehicle and yeah. and there's not I couldn't find one shop around town uh, in the bigger city like Vancouver to that would uh, take on that task. So what now? So I mean it's like it's re- you know now there's all these great programs out because my eventual plan is to go electric. Mike's yeah. gone electric. You're electric. I'm I'm considering going electric well you're electric on the scooter well yes I, yeah mike gets a tesla i get a scooter yes <laughs> welcome to my world and uh, so you've got a 2007 yeah Audi. 2008 yeah whatever. how much yeah. is it worth uh 10 grand well nothing right now yes <laughs> so you got to do the math right yeah you do the math right so you're going to put a five thousand dollar computer in or you're going to take a six thousand dollar scrap it program from our government to basically buy electric yeah i'm actually ahead of the game with the scrap it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what really hurts because you know what? There's nothing wrong with that car. It's a beautiful shape. It's beautiful seats. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's just so hard for me to think that thing would actually go in the, this is my dilemma too with my car. Cause my yeah. car still runs great, yeah. but my air conditioning portion of my computer doesn't work properly. And it's $1,600 to fix mm. and it might not actually fix it, but they won't know until they actually install it. So I get to pay for it either way. And yeah. I'm like, well, 
And you're mentioning the Scrap It program. I'm like, hmm, what's my car actually worth? So $6,000 plus the other incentives. EV incentives, which yep. add up to about 8000 That's $14,000. Yeah, $14,000. Towards a new electric car. Correct. Or you can try to bring yours back to life. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to ask you, Mike, do you want to buy any seats for my car before I scrap it? <laughs> Just be gutted. You could have gut that car before you, you, you roll it into the scrap it program. Yeah. Well, uh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll follow up with you and see what, what happens in the coming weeks. Yep. Sorry, AJ. Hey, stuff happens. We learn about we technology. Learn. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking trains now. Planes, yes. trains, and automobiles. Uh, what technology came from trains that you might not know about? John will give us the story. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I'm going to talk about trains. John uh, came to me earlier this week and said, Mike, I've got a, a tech story about trains. I'm like, how exciting could this be? Uh, but uh, trains have actually spawned two technologies that we all throughout the world use every single day. And I didn't even realize. And this goes back decades. Yes. So I commute in to the office every day via the West Coast Express. I spend a lot of time looking outside in the train yard yeah. out the window because it's a, it's a beautiful drive or uh, Ride. trip. Right. And I started noticing something and I'm like, what is that on the side of some train cars? And typically they're green cars. There's like this weird color bar pattern. And I'm like, well, what is that? It's not on all cars and it looks kind of old. So I did, I did a little bit of research and I found out that in basically in the sixties, the trains had a problem. They were, they were losing cars. They would lose track of where they are. So they needed a way to track them. So a guy who had spent his uh, university time uh, working at a railroad was an engineer at GTE, the telephone company in the US, that were trying to solve this problem with computers. And he came up with this idea of this coded bar thing in different whoa, whoa. colors. Bar code? I'm going to get to that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get to that. So one of the challenges that these trains have is they need to be able to track it in all different kinds of weather conditions, uh, night, day, and at high speed. So how would you scan something that's going by at 60 kilometers an hour? So he actually created a laser scanner. In the 60s? In the 60s. Okay. Yeah. And he was able to create this thing. Ultimately, the the, the company or the technology got was called car track. So if you Google car track, car with a K, you'll find a lot of examples on, on Google of what this luxury looks like. To me, it looks like a stack of pencil crayons of random colors, you know, just different color bars. And it's typically on, on the center of the car and you'll notice it on cars. Um, and so this became something that was used um, throughout North America to track cars. And the challenge was though is a lot of uh, almost every car in North America had this code on it, but not all the train yards had the scanners because that's where the money was. The, the The whole premise about this barcode was that it had to be cheap, like less than a dollar. It had to be able to survive the elements, that type of thing. Um, so they were able to get lots of those. But at the time, these scanners were quite expensive. And this was also sort of the downturn of the railway, railroad industry at the time. So no one wants to spend a ton of money on these laser scanners. So um, the guy that created this, David Collins, 
he actually went on to improve this technology to actually make it self-cleaning so that when it's being covered in snow or mud or whatever, it would sort of, I don't know what that technology was, but it just sounds really cool. But ultimately, the problem was the railroads abandoned it. What technology do you think they replaced it with? Good question. So they didn't invent the technology, but they popularized RFID, radio frequency identifiers. Ah. RFID chips. Yes, RFID chips. So they could actually track a train with 99.97% accuracy versus the car track situation, which was much less accurate because it was always prone to have problems with, you know, uh, a dirt or snow or whatever would, you know, in addition to the speed. Plus the cost was also a lot less. So interestingly though, David Collins left his job working with the car track and he started working with the grocery industry. And he transformed this barcode system on the side of the trains into what we now know is the black and white barcode. So it really did come from trains. It really did. Yeah. And that's the universal product code or UPC that you see on your cereal box. On everything. Everything. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting enough, the grocery industry and the military were the two industries that boosted the barcodes. The military used it because it was one way for them to track any products purchased for the military. And you remember back in the days, like in this in the seventies, where you know the joke was the government paid like two thousand dollars for a screw. Yes, it probably had a barcode on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was just just fascinating story that I found online. Um, there's a there's a tdm.co article about this that gives you all the background and all the stuff. So if you're a train nerd at all or a technology nerd. I encourage you to go Google car track and you'll find this. And so then they used the RFID chips yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So around 1975, they stopped using the car track. And then around uh, 1981 is when they went all in on RFIDs. That is crazy stuff. I never knew that in a million years. I didn't even, I haven't even seen these barcodes inside, but are they still on the yeah. train cars? Yeah. The interesting thing about that though, is you can tell how old that car is because they stopped making those, those barcodes in 1975. So and I the see cars, the tons cars that you every day. see them on are like decades old. They're sometimes older than me. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Very cool stuff. And now we're on to RFID. And RFID is being used in all sorts of industries all around the world now. For everything, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Walmart's been using it to track products even as they move around the store, yeah. which is pretty impressive. Well, e- even the airline industry is starting to use it to track your luggage now. Oh, thank heavens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, can, now they know where they lost we it. We can <laughs> accurately tell that that's an anchorage. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much. Wow, fantastic stuff. Thanks for bringing that uh, up to us. Uh, We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about our Alexa skill of the week. So uh, Amazon Prime Day happened this week. You probably have an Amazon Alexa speaker now. We're going to tell you how you can make more out of it. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We're going to be back shortly after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. John, you have our Amazon skill of the week for the Amazon Echo speaker owners out there. What do you yes, got? Yes, the new owners as well. Um, TED Talks. Everybody likes them. There's a million different topics. Uh, there's actually a TED Talk skill. You can say, Alexa, give me a TED Talk about insert category, any oh, topic you okay. want, right? Or you can actually have, Alexa, give me a TED Talk that's funny or that's serious. Um, or you can actually search for specific speakers if you know of someone that's given a TED Talk. 
um, and it will actually bring it up. This this will bring it up on your speaker, but if you actually have one of the ones with the display, you'll actually get to watch the TED Talk on the display. Oh, so you get the video as yeah. well. Yeah. So TED Talks, I mean, prohibitively expensive to actually go to these, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've got TED Talks and they've got TEDx events, which are a lot cheaper yes. and yes. kind of localized to different cities. But the TED Talks are like the big ones, and they have like superstar speakers that come and into it's those. in Vancouver now. Yeah. Is it always in Vancouver now? Well, it's always now. It used to be in Long Beach. Yeah. California. Well, Vancouver's cool. Yeah. Uh, but it costs thousands of dollars to go. $10,000 minimum, and you typically need to be invited. $10,000 to go to these. But on the plus side, they release all of that content. All the content's available. For free. Yes. Afterwards. Yeah. So now you can get uh, your Amazon Echo speaker to play them for you. That's right. That's very cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, cost? Free. Free. So uh, not, it's not $10,000. Not $10,000. Just the cost of the speaker and your internet connection. Right. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. They're, they're basically putting Alexa into everything now, right? Yes. Uh, so now, uh, do you ever see the pet cube? No. <laughs> this was like a, a home webcam to keep track of your pets. Yes. Oh, I've, I've, got, I've got a Furbo. It's like this, yeah. Furbo. Yeah. Did I give that to you? No, I bought it. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> I had a Furbo. So Furbo is kind of the kind of a version of this. It's got a webcam, but it also has a feeder on it. Yep. So you could shoot out treats to your, right. yes. your cat or dog. Loved it. I loved it. I could like look in and see my little dogs and, you know, shoot that treat out, you know, halfway across the room. It shot, shoots them pretty far. It, it's, it's got some distance on it. Yeah. Yeah. You could shoot an eye out. <laughs> anyway, uh, Alana, my wife, you know, at first she just thought this was stupid, but then she found out there's like a webcam on it. That thing was gone. <laughs> it was gone. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so these uh, pet cubes, uh, they create these pet-friendly connected cameras that can record your dog or cat while you're away. Uh, they've got the new Bites 2 and Play 2 smart cameras equipped with Alexa for the first time. So now you can talk to your pet cube camera. And just have it fire treats out or something like that? I, I guess so. Can your dog uh, no, order stuff? No, these ones don't shoot treats. Uh, can your dog order stuff then? If it can say, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I bet my dogs would figure that out, actually. Probably. Yeah. An Alexa-powered pet cam. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you can get to play music, uh, get updates on news, ordering food. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Why not? Right. Why not? Alexa in everything. So don't forget to listen to our sister show. It happens every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network, broadcast out of Vancouver on CKW 980, hits a bunch of other stations. It's all about the world of apps. For your smartphone, your TV, your tablets, uh, even your computers, we cover all the best ones out there and tell you what you should be uh, looking at. You can get it uh, as a podcast as well, as in addition to the Get Connected radio show you're listening to right now on the Apple Podcast uh, app. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also go to Google Play to get uh, You can podcast. also find it on our website. Our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Yeah. I got to plug that more. I want to thank John Beeler and Graham Williams for coming into the program and also uh, our good friend AJ Vickery. This is Mike and John and AJ and Graham. Logging off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.